0: Do you understand what's happening right now? Don't worry, you will in a minute. Listen, I, there are, we all will find ourselves from time to time confused and not knowing what's going on from here, to, you know, moments here, moments there. It's hard to always understand every little thing. And so don't feel bad if you were confused a minute ago because everybody was, all right? Now, there is something that happened this week that was something that happened to my son, and it was uh, as I was praying and prepping for today and thinking about all of you, this story connected too well, and, and it dealt with VBS as well, but it wasn't as inspiring as that other story that I shared. See, every year there's been this phenomenon, actually for the past three years, a phenomenon has happened where this one girl always comes during VBS week, during vacation Bible school, and happens to find my oldest son, and for three years... They've been interacting and hanging out just during Vacation Bible School Week. And my son now refers to her as, her, as his camp girlfriend. Okay. And I overheard this week my oldest son talking to one of his cousins. And he goes and says, yeah, see, I got a girlfriend who I see one week out of the year. And then my, his cousin responds back rightfully confused and says, hold on. How is she your girlfriend if you only see her for one week out of the year? My son responds with the only answer he had. He says, honestly, I don't know how any of this works. (laughs) Wait till he finds out that it only gets more complicated after this, right? All right. Now, listen. The reason why I brought that up is because it's really the point and the purpose of our series that we're doing now. It's called Binge Reading the Bible. The purpose of what the series is, is Binge Reading the Bible, is many people are unsure or unafraid or intimidated to binge in this whole book because there's things in it that they don't understand. They will say, honestly, I don't understand how any of this works. They will say the same thing. They've had, some of you have had those conversations with me. You're not the only one. And so because of that, Because of that, we're doing this series where we are looking through different sections of the Bible, giving you an idea, giving you a guideline so that things will make better sense. Because we know that the better you understand the book of God, the better you're going to get to know the God of this book. And this matters. This matters. It's so important. And so what we've been doing is we've been looking at different categories. Some of you might know this. Some of you don't. But the Bible is actually 66, one book made up of 66 mini books. And they are all organized in different categories, based on theme, based on idea. And we've been looking at one category every week over the past couple weeks. And we're about halfway through this series. And what we've been doing is highlighting one part of that section. Because the better you understand the idea of the section, you'll be able to understand everything else. You'll have a better understanding of processing of what's happening in this category. So we've looked at the opening category, the book of the law and how the beginnings and all that started and how God's law is really a revelation of his love. We talked about, a couple. I think uh, yeah, two weeks ago, we talked about the history books, about covering a thousand years of Jewish history. And we see God's tenacious love, how that played out throughout those thousand years. Last week, we talked about God's wisdom on how we can not only is wisdom something we seek, but wisdom, is someone who seeks us, which is God. And then now notice how all of that story, it continues on and it connects, as we're going to talk about today, which is the rest of the Old Testament. Well, there's going to be sections that we're going to visit later, but the rest of the Old Testament, a good chunk of it is called the prophetic books. So these are books called of prophecy, written by different prophets. And, and there's, a, there's, a difference, there's a difference that I need to make sure you all understand, especially those of us who are Christians, Because if you read the New Testament, we see that there's prophets in the New. But then we read the Old, there's prophets in the Old. And a lot of times, which we've said this in the previous week, there's so many of us that struggle with mixing the Old and the New. And we think and we apply certain aspects of the Old Testament and the Old Covenant, and we bring it into this New Covenant that Jesus didn't intend. And so, listen, prophets in the Old and in the New shared the same general job, But there was something very specific. So here, I got to explain this. The first one is this. In the Old Testament, the prophets had to speak new revelations, new words from the Lord. That's what an Old Testament prophet did. They spoke new words about God so that people can understand how to align themselves in the present. They would speak new words about the future, things that weren't happening yet. So they can adjust and align themselves in the present. Now, a New Testament prophet is different. A New Testament prophet is not speaking new revelations. Because according to what we have seen that God, with with Revelation, the book of Revelation, at the end of this book, God has sealed and there is nothing else new to add to it. And so in the New Testament, we don't have new revelations under the New Covenant. Prophets now, instead of speaking new things, prophets in the New Testament or in the New Covenant now are speaking old things, things that God has already said in the past so that people can adjust in the present. But no matter which one, uh, this I want to make sure you understand, the prophet has one job, and here it is. The prophet is called to call people back to God. That's it. Old Testament, New Testament, the purpose is the same. A prophet is called to tell people who have wandered and are, wa- are leaving and floating away. A prophet is called to call people back to God. That's what prophets do. And God sends these individuals and sends these words so that there can be a shift and something changes inside of their life because their direction, they're heading in the wrong way. They're heading in the wrong way and God is telling them, turn around, come back this way. Something needs to shift in you. Now, there's a modern term that helps us to understand the point of what prophets, what God wanted prophets to do, and it's this. Say this word with me. Say paradigm Paradigm. shift. Shift. One more time because I want to make sure everybody gets this. Say "Paradigm paradigm shift. Has anyone, raise your hands if you've ever heard of a paradigm shift? Some of you might have. It's a very common term. Not everybody. Now, even though you have never maybe heard of the word paradigm shift, I want you to know you have all experienced one. And you will continue to experience one. See, you and I, we all have a certain amount of a subconscious understanding of things. Things that we know and things that we've kind of assumed. And they make up this on the subconscious level. It makes up our habits, how we view the world. And the way we view the world, the way we view ourselves, the way we view God, the way we view everything actually impacts how we live. A paradigm shift happens when we experience something new, something that we didn't realize before, something that we didn't know was there. And when that paradigm shift, when we experience that, a shift happens in that an old way of thinking goes away forever and a new one replaces it. And when that shift happens, you change as a person. You physically, mentally, emotionally, you change when something shifts that drastically. That's a paradigm shift. And that's what the prophets were always called to do. I mean, one example of a paradigm shift is this. You could say bananas. Let's say a person tells you that bananas are the best fruit in the world. Anybody down, any banana fans in the house? All right? Banana, I love bananas. Banana and peanut butter every day. All right, bananas, sprinkle some, You know, gonna put some peanut butter on that. I love that, bananas and peanut butter. That's actually what, what I call my, my sleep bomb. I'll have a banana and peanut butter right before I go to bed, Carb spike, fall asleep. So nice. So that's what I like to have at night. It's my midnight snack. Uh, now, a, let's say a person says, bananas are the best fruit in the world. I've never had a, I have no other fruit tastes better than a banana, but then this person travels and goes to another country and experiences a fruit they've never experienced before. And now they'll say, you know what? Forget bananas. Bananas are great. Mangoes are the best. Woo! I, when I had a mango, what I thought bananas were the best. No, man, mangoes are the best. That's kind of like a somewhat of a paradigm shift where now when you've been experiencing something new old way of thinking is gone, a new has come. And then imagine that person bumps into somebody else and says, no, hell wrong, man. I know mana- I know mangoes are great, but I personally believe that tomatoes are the best fruit in the world. And you'd be like, tomatoes is a fruit? Has that ever bothered you? Who, did, when, do you remember where you were when somebody presented the idea and the reality that tomatoes are not vegetables, right? You ever process that? I'm like, wait a minute, a tomato is not a vegetable? It's a fruit. Man, then, huh? Right, I know for for me, I've had, I was like, wait, what? And then that's something like a paradigm shift that makes you rethink everything. Oh, wait a minute. If tomatoes are fruits, then what I don't even know what a fruit is. (laughs) I don't even know what a vegetable is. What else is there that I'm confused about, right? What else am I confused about? If I thought, I assumed this was that, now it's not. Well, that's what paradigm shifts do. See, you and I all have, and this is all of us. You and I, your understanding, my understanding about everything is either incomplete or incorrect. I want you to absorb that and process that. I'm pretty sure we'd all agree. Our understanding of everything is either incomplete, meaning there's always something new to learn, or it's incorrect. And a paradigm shift happens when new information and a new experience shifts and impacts that right there. And now we're not the only ones, we're not the only ones who had that struggle. In fact, we're gonna, we've been looking at the Bible and we're looking at the Old Testament. We've been seeing that the nation of Israel also struggled to understand. Like us today, there's so many who struggle to understand God's word, God's ways. And even then, the nation of Israel struggled with understanding God's words and God's ways. For them, maybe their understanding was incomplete. And so they made assumptions and went going. And then for some of them, they, it was incorrect, leading them to make some very dangerous and destructive decisions. And the Lord would send prophets to cause a paradigm shift in their life because their understanding of him was incomplete and incorrect. So the prophet was going, was showing up to speak words from the Lord so that their understanding could be fuller. And so their whatever their misunderstanding was can now be corrected. Because when that would happen, when that would happen, a shift would happen in their minds and then their affections and their actions and their emotions would all shift back towards God. And that's what God had wanted. That's the purpose of the prophets. And that we need that story even till today. Because God is one. No matter where we are, we are all, our understanding of God, even mine, all of us together. It's incomplete or incorrect. And that's why God is constantly still speaking through prophets and people today. So that we can make sure that we don't wander too far. And then we can always come back to him. And out of all the books of the prophets, we're going to focus on, on a tiny one. We're going to focus on one. And it was probably one of the most unique prophets out of the whole Old Testament. And this guy, his name is Hosea. Some of you have maybe referenced him and know who he is. But Hosea was very different compared to all the other prophets. See, there was some that we know that is like Elijah, and Elisha, and, and Isaiah, Jeremiah, all these guys. And these prophets all had one thing in common. They would all, God would give them a word, God would tell them to say something, and they would go and say it. They would go proclaim to the kings, to to the people, to the nations. They would go and say something and relay information that God had declared. And in fact, any time there was ever a prophet who wanted to change the words, God made sure that person was taken care of every single time we see that. And so it's like, uh, what's that game that we used to play when you were kids? Telephone. Remember telephone, right? The more you heard that message, the more it just kind of funnels out here and there and then the message changes over time. Well, God had to keep on sending prophets to correct the message every time it was changed. But out of all of the other ones, they all had to speak something in moments here and there. But Hosea was different. In fact, Hosea, we can probably say, Hosea had the longest sermon in probably the entire Bible. Hosea had the longest-running, one of the longest, if not the longest-running message of the whole book. He never stopped talking because his life was his sermon. God called Hosea to do something very weird. And if we think about it, it's like, yo, is God going to ask me to do this? Look, Let me tell you that this was a unique experience, a one-time thing that God was trying to do because it was very, 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 very scandalous is a good word. So this isn't, be careful not to read into this. I'm like, oh, if he can do that, that means I can do, no, but be careful because God was behind this 100%. And here's what was so scandalous. God told Hosea, a good man, a man who loved God, a man whose heart was breaking for the nation. See, God would send, the one reason why God would have to send prophets was because people stopped paying attention to God. They wouldn't hear him. They would wander. So God would have to send people to get them. Now, we talked about last week that King Solomon was the king of Israel during the height of peace and prosperity. But when King Solomon died, the nation experienced civil war. And out of the 11 tribes that made up and those divided the nation of Israel, one remained. It was called the, Na- the kingdom of Judah over in Jerusalem. And the other 10 tribes broke off. And they were the northern tribes, the northern 10 tribes of Israel. Because they figured there was just a division and a fight between who is a rightful king, who is a rightful heir. So Israel experienced a civil war, and they split up. And God would send some prophets to the south, to the southern kingdom of Judah, and he would send others to the north. Hosea was one of the north. And the north was the one that was the most, the furthest from God. In fact, during Hosea's time around 700 B.C., things were good. Things were not that bad. It was peace, prosperity on the outside. Everything from the outside was looking good on the public. But on the private side, something was brewing. Even though their prosperity, everybody could see the prosperity, the Lord saw deep down and he saw he could not he could not ignore the bloodshed that they were experiencing, the injustices that were happening every single day, the corruption from the top down. It was nasty and it was brewing and it was it eventually would lead to their destruction. And God would send prophets to say, hey, guys, turn around before it gets too late. We've all done that. Have you ever seen a friend heading in a a certain direction and you know that it's not going to end well if they keep going and then you try to speak life to them and you try to encourage them to think differently? Have you ever done that? Have that ever happened to you? Yeah. That's what the purpose of a prophet was. They were heading in the wrong direction. It wasn't going to end well and they had to turn around. But Hosea's heart was breaking for his people. And so God asked him to do something very Very difficult. He told Hosea, "I need you to marry a quote promiscuous woman." Do I need to translate promiscuous? Anybody? All right, everybody old enough. We promiscuous. All my high schoolers, middle schoolers. We good with promiscuous? All right, we good with that. Now we don't know if she was promiscuous before he married her, or if it was prophetic that she would become promiscuous. But here's the thing: in under Jewish law. If, an, if a woman, let's say in this case a woman, but a male too, it doesn't matter who you were, but in this case, if you were married and you were a man and a woman committed adultery, that was the pain of death. If you were a woman and you were married and the husband committed adultery on you, death to you, all right, that's what it was. And so God says, I want you to marry this kind of woman. And Hosea faithfully obeyed. And his, for his, again, his message though he spoke from time to time, his message was his life. He lived out his message, what God wanted everyone to see. It was so, again, scandalous because God wanted his people to really see because they weren't paying attention. So he wanted them to see what his his love looked like. And so we're gonna look at Hosea chapter three, which is the pivot point of this book. And in this chapter, you're gonna see the heart of everything that is written in the book, of all the prophetic books. If you understand the point of Isaiah, you understand all of the prophets and how to process it all. So let's look at Hosea chapter three, verses just one and three. Because here, after years of living this life, and again, this being promiscuous, all right, this was someone who she would step out of her relationship with her husband, not just once, not twice. But enough times that we lost count. She stepped out on him many times. And on one of those times, again, when she stepped out on him, God speaks to Hosea and says the following. Hosea says, and the Lord said to me, go again. Say again. 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 Go again and love a woman who is loved by another man and is an adulteress even as the Lord loves the children of Israel, though they turn to other gods and love cakes of raisins. So I, brought her for, so I bought her for 15 shekels of silver and a homer and a lethich of barley. And I said to her, you must dwell as mine for, my, for many days. You shall not, okay, look, you shall not play the whore. Right, he ain't messing around. You shall not play the whore or belong to another man. So I will also be with you. Serious words, heavy words. Now, in this section of Hosea, we see that Hosea's wife, her name is Gomer, by the way, returns home. Now, he has to go out again. How many times? What did God said? Go what? Again. Go again after her. And now, according to the law, what should Hosea, what is Hosea rightfully able to do? Hosea is rightfully able to report her and have her be done with. Uh, under the law and we we talked about this another time what was the point of the law that's for another week but according to the law that's what he was allowed to do in fact that is that's what he was expected to do but what did now God say isn't God breaking his own rule if you think about it God is telling him to have grace and mercy when there should be justice his justice go once again and love your wife Go once again. Now, one thing that we see here is that the love, you know, she's not the only one, apparently, who loves or who is loved by her. You know, Hosea is a dude who loves her and still loves her. But apparently there's this other guy. There's another guy who loves her, another man, another man who loves her. And now, again, this was not the first time. Now, we don't know if this was the same guy she would always go to or if this was just the next dude. I don't know. But what we know is this, that she would repeatedly step out on her family. Not only her husband, she had kids with Hosea. She would step out on her family consistently, constantly, searching for her passions. And in this section, we see that those who loved her failed her. Those who she loved, her love interests failed her. Do you know how I know this? Didn't you see that what did Hosea do when he found her? Hosea bought gomer now this implies this what we understand of this is that gomer wasn't just anywhere hosea finds gomer his wife on the slave auction block when he went looking for her he found her and he found her a slave we don't know how she got there but all we know is that that's what that's what she was she was running after her passions and that led to being a slave What attracted her, what attracted her initially, eventually attacked her and enslaved her. And that happens to us today. Where the passions of this world that see, ooh, that sounds fun, that sounds interesting, that sounds great. And they attract us away from God only for us to later find ourselves enslaved to sin and our passions and to habits that we can't break from. And so here we see that her love interests have failed her because Where is Hosea on the auction block? Where's this other dude that apparently loved her? If he loved her like God said, where is he? What is he? Where is he? What kind of love is that? Where she needed him the most, she risked it all, man. She risked everything for this guy. And now when she was in trouble, where is that guy? Where is he now? Who knows? We don't even know, but the likelihood could also be that either she was so poor that she sold herself into slavery, or what if these people that she would give herself to betrayed her for a quick buck and turned her into, and now here she is being sold by the very people who said loved her. Now this we, now those are some assumptions, but this we know. It is still sad today to see how many people are used and abused and broken by people who supposedly say they love them. People who, listen, for those of you, if you're in the dating game, or you're trying to this and that, you're still in school. Look, I don't know how many times it still happens when people say, oh, this guy will give me, this guy is what, this girl is what I need. They love me. And then when push come to shove, and then your friends, oh, yeah, you risk it all for your friends. You do what they're doing. And here and there, and when push come to shove, where are those friends? What kind of friends are those? What kind of friends are those who really where you needed them? Ain't nowhere to be found. That's all of those people that Hosea, that Gomer counted on, when she needed them the most, they failed her. But not only that, the gods that she worshipped also failed her. Now, if you read that verse, that was probably something that stood out real weird. Did, did you guys catch the, the, the culinary critique uh, that uh, God had in the scripture, if we can put it back up? He, God, God is criticizing Gomer and criticizing the nation of Israel, saying, oh, they run after other gods, and what? They turn to other gods, and they love cakes of raisins. They love raisin cakes. Now, hopefully none of you felt convicted at some point, and I was like, wait a minute. I had something like that for breakfast. <laughs> like, wait, I, I, I love raisins. You know, I, I, I love cinnamon, the cinnamon rolls with the raisins. It's like, G- do, Jesus, do I have to repent from, from that too? I, I just came, not you know, I'm like, no. I was like, look, God's not hating, all right, on pastries, all right? God's not hating on pastries there. there's, He doesn't have anything against raisins or cakes or any of that. But see, that word, that expression that was used there is because cakes of raisins in this case were used in pagan worship. So this expression, this word here, notice that it's other gods who love cakes of raisins. So this was something that was had when they would go to these demonic temples to worship these gods. Gomer more than likely would have gone to plenty of these places, just like most of Israel was doing at this time. And so when God is criticizing and what he is saying is, guys, listen, why have you replaced the peace and joy that comes in a relationship with me and you've settled for pieces of cake? That's what he is saying here. He is saying you have settled for the peace that can only come with me and you instead would rather have pieces of cake. It's not enough. It's not enough. So we know that not only, not only does Gomer's love interest failed her because where are they on the auction block? We also know that these gods that Gomer worshipped failed her as well because have, did any of these other gods send, one, send someone to go rescue her? did any of these false gods who she sacrificed to, did they come to her rescue? No. The only God who came to the rescue was the one true God who sent her husband to go find her. So not only do we see those all, everything has failed Gomer. Everyone has failed Gomer, yet her husband did not fail her he bought, his, he bought her. Now, when he says he bought her, this is, doesn't mean that now she is his slave. When it says that he bought her, meaning he bought her freedom. He purchased her freedom. I don't know if you saw that, but it was for 15 shekels and some other random goods that none of us are going to find. Maybe barley. I don't know if you're going to find any of that at Publix or at Winn-Dixie or anything like that. But the thing was is that if we look at the Old Testament under law, to purchase the freedom of a slave was 30 shekels of silver. How many? 30. 30 30 shekels of silver to purchase the freedom of a slave. And so Gomer pays 15. He doesn't have enough. And so he makes it up with whatever goods he can. And he purchases her freedom. Now, when you read those words in verse 3, those are some hard words. It sounded harsh when we read them today. But I want you to know that those words in verse 3 were not words of criticism. They were words of compassion. Literally what Hosea was doing with his now repurchased wife, he was renewing his vows. He was renewing his vows once again. Imagine, guys, that. Imagine how that would feel if that was you. He would go after her once again, brought her home and says, all right, game's over. You're not going to play that game anymore. You are mine and I am yours. We're going to make this work. I still love you regardless Even if you still love that guy who didn't show up, where was he? I showed up because I love you. And even if if you still love him, I want you to know I love you. I'm not going anywhere. You're mine and I'm yours. That was Hosea. That's what he was doing there. And what we see, the whole story, that interaction, guys, listen, that played out for we don't know how many years or decades. And the nation of Israel knew. Wait, there's a prophet out there? who hasn't condemned his adulterous wife, who is still loving this wife, who refuses to love him back? What kind of situation? What kind of prophet is that guy? What kind of? That, that's wrong. See, we see now throughout this, and, and God's now going to turn it even more because that was an, a literally a year-long experiment, years-long experiment of getting the people to see Again, he wanted a paradigm shift to happen in the nation. Saying, listen, guess what, guys? You're criticizing Hosea. You're criticizing Gomer for this relationship. Well, guess what? In this story, you guys are Gomer. You guys are his wife. You guys are running after, you're cheating on me daily. Running after this, running after that, thinking you're going to find life everywhere else. You are stepping out on me every day. And do you want to know who I am? I'm better than Hosea, I'm st- I still love you and I'm doing whatever it takes to get you back. In fact, we see throughout all of the prophets which all of the prophets, all the prophetic books line up with those historical books. So as the nation was splitting, the Lord is sending prophets to all these places. And and the reason why is because God was so jealous for the love of his people, a love that they were meant to give back to God, but instead they were just tossing it and giving it to whoever. He was so jealous for their love that God was willing to do anything, anything to win their hearts over again and again. And again, however many times it was needed. In fact, let's look at verse, now let's look at verse 4. Because in the same way that we saw verse 1 through 3, that Hosea's wife, Gomer, returned, God is now prophesying and says, Israel, my bride, the one who has stepped out on me. I want you to know that you're going to return too. And let's see what Hosea says in chapter 4. Now, this is the Lord speaking to the Israel and to the nation and he's still speaking to us. For the children of Israel shall dwell many days without king and priest, without sacrifice or pillar, without ephod or household gods. Afterward, the children of Israel shall return and seek the Lord their God and David their king. And they shall come in fear to the Lord and to his goodness in the latter days. Just like Gomer, just like Gomer who ran off and put her trust and faith in other gods and other people who failed them, God is saying, listen, Israel, the people that you have put your trust in, they are going to fail you too. They're going to fail you. Israel, instead of placing their trust in their one true king, God, decided to place their their trust in corrupt kings. And these kings, instead of doing what God asked them to do, instead of the people doing what God asked them to do, They would set up unholy alliances with people trusting in other nations and say, yeah, hey, we're good. We're good. See, well, we don't need God. We got this together. I mean, hey, we've been kind of doing our own thing. We've been worshiping God on Saturdays and worshiping this other demons and other idols on Fridays and every other day. Things are going good. Peace and prosperity. Everybody's winning. And so they thought that they could keep going. And God was saying, man, no, you guys are heading in the wrong direction. You're heading over a cliff. I'm not sending you over there. You are heading that way. Pay attention. Turn around before it's too late. Because everything that you are trusting in is going to fail you. Now, guys, we know this happened. Because out of all of the political alliances that Israel made, none of those alliances came to their aid when the northern kingdom of Assyria sieged and attacked the ten northern tribes. See, the bottom tribe, Judah, was exiled years later by Babylon and later Persia. But that Jew, the, the, the kingdom of Judah, after being exiled, was later able to return back home. That's why we call them the Jews, because they're the traditional Jew, the, the tribe of Judah. You know what happened to the other 10? We call them the lost tribes of Israel. Because this, this nation, this kingdom was conquered by Assyria, taken away. Never to return again. Never to return. They were scattered throughout the known, known, known world and throughout the whole entire world. Never to return again. Yet God is saying that you will return one day. But not to necessarily a strip of land. You're not just going to come back to a promised land. What God is promising saying, no, you guys are going to return to a promised king. You're going to come back to a promised king. It's going to be different. But see... Israel's friends failed them. No one showed up to save them from Assyria. No one came to the rescue after they were now slaves in Assyria. No one came to their rescue. Their friends failed them. But not only that, so did their false gods. The nation of Israel allowed a lot of disgusting and the, the northern nation, a lot of disgusting practices to happen. So much so I can't really say them today, because we got some some youngins. Some youngins, and I don't want you. Plug your ears because then I'm going to, you're going to have an interesting conversation in the car. I'm, I'm, I'm going to save you from that, okay? I'm going to save you from that. But it was crazy. Crazy to see what they were doing. And in fact, here he says, that he was noticing, he says, all the household gods, those are going to fail you. None of these gods came to their rescue when Assyria showed up. None of their gods came to save them. But God, just like Gomer, as she was enslaved, God was saying, listen, I'm going to come get you. I want you to understand you are going to be without Without a lot, and maybe you're going to feel without hope, but trust me, there's going to come a day, latter days, one day in the future, that a king would come. And out of, even though Israel's friends had failed them, even though their gods, their false gods had failed them, God is going to say, Watch, I am not going to fail you. Now, this King David that he's mentioning, if you guys read in Hosea, this is not King David that slung the slingshot and killed Goliath. This is not King David, the king of the, the King Solomon's dad. All right, because that David's dead. That David has been dead for a while. This King David and with the Jewish people and the Israel people, they knew that this was an idea. This was a promised Messiah, a coming king who would one day make all things right. A coming king who they would say they would when they see this king that this king is going to do something so amazing that they are going to come and return back to God in fear. Now fear is not fear and trembling like some of you and when, when you know like something's going down like uh, you know, something happened at school and you know they already called mom and dad and you're coming home fear and trembling because you know the talk's coming. Not that kind of fear and trembling. This fear is in this it's it's actually an amazing Hebrew word and actually in this case it's referencing amazement and awe and wonder something this king will come one day and do something so amazing that it's going to take everybody's breath away and they are going to return back to the promised king because he's going to surprise them in a way that they didn't see something they didn't see it coming See, the point of it all, and guys, this is the bottom line of the, not only Hosea, but this is the bottom line of all of the prophets. Any prophetic book you read, here is what God's message behind every prophetic word was, is this. That your actions cannot cancel God's affections towards you. That's what Hosea, that's what the life story of Hosea was. That's what every prophetic word, everything that we see in the prophets was this. The bottom line is this, that, every, that your actions cannot cancel God's affections towards you. Your actions cannot cancel God's affections towards you. I know it may feel like that sometimes. I know it may feel like that sometimes because you may be in your feelings and you may be, well, how could God love me? How could God, he can't, no way he does. See, if that's how you feel, if that's what you're believing, then your understanding of God is incomplete and incorrect. It's incomplete and incorrect. Until you realize this right here, until you're confronted with the fact that your actions have not and cannot cancel God's affections towards you. That is what the message that God was trying to tell Israel. No matter where you find yourselves, no matter what, look, I'm going to let you following your path and you have to deal with the consequences of your decisions because the point was i want you and i need you to change i want you to change but you can't change yourself you can't change yourself you can maybe make adjustments here and there you can do some self improv and improve, you know, some things there self-improvements but you cannot do what is needed you cannot do what is needed i only can do that I only can do that. And I want you to know that my affections will never change. Your actions cannot cancel my affections. He promised Israel, I would not fail them, that a king would show up one day and do something. Well, 700 years after Hosea, that promised king showed up and did something that no one saw coming and surprised even his closest friends. Jesus was that prophet. Jesus was the better Hosea. Jesus was the one just like God. What did God tell Hosea? Go once again and go find them. Go once again and go to where they were. God once again said, I'm going to go get my people. But this time, instead of me sending another person, I'm going myself. I'm going to personally go. Jesus was that promised prophet who came and lived his life sermon out just like Hosea for the world to see. He lived out his life and he came looking for us, looking for you. And in fact, we notice what did Hosea do? We said that the the point or the price of purchasing a slave, a slave's freedom in the Old Testament was 30 pieces of silver. Hosea paid 15 shekels of silver plus some other goods. Well, think about Jesus's best friend. Betrayed him for 30 pieces of silver. Jesus found us enslaved in our own sins. He came looking for his bride and found his bride a slave, a slave to sin. And Jesus allowed himself to be sold. He didn't go and purchase our freedom with cash. Jesus was sold and betrayed for 30 pieces of silver to redeem us. And then he later purchased our freedom with his very life. That's what he did. That's what he did. The violent and bloody act of Jesus's love on the cross and then the miraculous moment of his resurrection took the apostles and the world's breath away because Jesus gave his last breath on the cross for us. And then three days later, breathed again. And because he was able to breathe again, now we can. Because he lives, now we can live. Knowing that we have a God who loves us so much, he came after us and is willing to do whatever it takes. Because Jesus, our actions and not cancel Jesus' affections towards us. Even the, even the actions and his best friend betraying him. And all these people murdering, you know, doing what they were doing. And what was Jesus' heart? What did he say on the cross? He said, Father, forgive them. They don't know. They do not understand. Their understanding is incomplete. Their understanding is incorrect. Forgive them. Forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. Even those actions didn't cancel his affections towards those people. And if God could still love the very people who murdered his son, if God could still love the same people, and was willing to forgive the same people who put little nails in his hands, if he was able to still love his best friend who betrayed him, He he still loves you. He still loves you. And when you are confronted with that. See, that is the biggest paradigm shift that could happen in any person. The biggest paradigm shift that can happen is when you realize and when you remember, when you're confronted with the reality that that God's actions or God's affections still are towards you. That your actions have not canceled his affections. When that old way of thinking is confronted with us, that is dead and long gone and something new happens. Something shifts inside of your soul and you change and you begin to change in a way that you can't do alone. You never look the same when you're confronted with that truth. Instead of me sharing my story with Josue today, about his camp girlfriend and his lack of understanding. What if I would have started my day with this story and I was dead serious? What if I instead I started today and saying, guys, while I was getting ready for today, something crazy happened. I was out on a walk, praying, getting ready for the day, and I was walking alongside some railroad tracks and I had my earbuds in, and I was worshiping. And I, before I knew it, before I can do anything, before I realize it, a train hit me. That would then lead you, if I was serious and said that, you would then ask me a certain question too, right? If a train hits you, why do you look the same? Right? If a train hits you, then why did you look the same? Why would we ask that? Why would you think that? Why would you doubt? Why would you doubt that I said, guys, a train hit me today. It really did. It happened. Why would you doubt it? Because I look the same. See, If a train hits you, would you agree? You ain't going to look the same. If a train hits you, you're not going to look the same. When the truth of God hits you, that your actions cannot cancel God's affections towards you, oh, you ain't going to look the same. And you're never going to live the same ever again. So if you are like Gomer, maybe some of you might be like Gomer, wandering this world, lost, looking for something and you just can't seem to find. Or you found yourself <coughs> in a scenario where you are just stuck in hurt and pain and frustration. Maybe you're somebody who, like Gomer, had a relationship with God, but you keep on stepping out on God. And you keep on playing this game. you you with God on Sunday and you step out. The second you step out of this building, you're already stepping out on God. If you're like Gomer, lost, I want you to know that you can find what you are looking for in a God who is looking for you, who never stops looking for you. And if you're instead, maybe you're like Hosea. Where well, you look around and your heart is breaking for the lost. Your heart is breaking for everything that is happening out and all around you. Well, if that's you, if your heart is breaking, if you have a relationship with God, then ask him to make your heart break even more. Let the love of God come out as you live your life sermon before the world to see so that the lost can find what you have found. We are, never, we are never the same when we come into encounter with this God who never stops loving us. And when we, see, we change. We change when we place our faith in this God. And though not only do we change, but you know what happens? The world changes. When God causes this spiritual paradigm shift to happen. Because every time when we place our faith in Christ, something happens in us for all who are in christ are a new creation the old is gone the old way of thinking the old way of living the old way of processing the world is gone when you are in christ because something is happening in you instead behold the new has come and new life is available to all of us